Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me. All you hosts gathered here. Kill everyone now. Condone first degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell. Welcome to Astro Radio Z. Astro Zombies. It's been a little bit, and I keep saying that every single time we start one of these episodes because I'll record an episode, have the intentions to jump back in and be reinvigorated to, you know, sit and watch shitty, shitty fucking exploitation movies here on Astro Radio Z, and then life happens and takes that urge away from me. Today, though, we're getting right back into the swing of the VHS kick that we started with the last episode that I told you was going to be a monthly thing. Four months later, here we are. We're going to talk about The Night Visitor from 1989 and Cassandra, a new look at terror. So stick around and we're not going to fart around. We're getting right into this episode because I know you guys have been waiting for this on pins and needles. This is the only thing that, you know, holds the thin fabric of your existence together. And I appreciate that. Welcome back to Astro Radio Z. Astro Radio Z. Women of the night are never safe. Now they are being kidnapped and murdered. Wait a minute. Who are you? Well, the true believer thinks he's Satan's representative on Earth. The devil incarnate. By doing Satan's work, he can assure himself of a chosen place in hell. The bizarre rituals of a satanic cult demand human sacrifice. A teenager's curiosity plunges him into a terrifying world of ritual murder. 
It's all closed up like he's hiding some horrible secret. Hey, look out! Run! And you're gonna swear that Willow was driving the black car. I told you! We couldn't see the driver of the car. The police don't believe you, Billy Colton. Listen, Mr. Devereaux, I'm really glad you're here. That makes one of us. Elliot Gould, Alan Garfield, Michael J. Pollard, Shannon Tweed, Derek Rydall, and Richard Roundtree in Night Visitor. He's never invited, but that doesn't stop him. Night Visitor. Something happened on the way to this episode, and especially this movie that we're going to be talking about right now, Night Visitor, made in 1989 by Rupert Hitzig. I originally had my whole VHS set up in my basement. Now, I had moved into a new house at the beginning of this year and decided because it was just mine and I didn't have to cohabitate with anybody else other than my kids, I was going to reset up a man cave. So I started that process by going and getting an old CRT tube TV. I was just like, fuck it. I have a Dreamcast. I have an old NES. I have a PS2 and I have an N64 and I have a fucking CD player and I have a VCR with a ton of fucking VHS tapes. Let's fucking get a T the TV like something that held the resolution of what was intended to be the output and delivery for this media. And as much as you could sit and potentially spend on upconverting all of these machines so that you can play them on your, you know, your HD TVs. I have a 4K TV up in my living room, which I, you know, I, I watch my Blu-rays. I watch my streaming. I play my PS4 on. And yes, I'm cheap. I haven't bought a PS5 yet. <laughs> Who knows if I'm ever going to buy one of those gimmicks, but we'll see. It just doesn't compare to if you haven't upconverted and spent all the money you can on like these old classic systems or even a VCR. It, they just look great and they it feels right to sit and watch them the way they were originally intended to be viewed, mostly because, I mean, they were optimized for that system, right? So I had this TV with the VCR hooked up to it down in my basement and because it wasn't nearby me, I just sent, tended to like forget that it was down here because I don't spend a ton of time down here. I'm so busy with kids and all this other stuff. And I'm sure you guys out there that are, you know, <laughs> younger dudes don't give a fuck about this or ladies don't give a fuck about this. I'm a 45 year old man with four fucking kids. <laughs> Finding time to make this podcast happen or finding time to sit and enjoy things for myself is hard. It's so fucking hard. So it wasn't like I intentionally pushed off Astro Radio Z or pushed off watching Night Visitor because it had a lot of elements about it that totally drew me in. The cover has like this demonic goat's head mask on it. Now, remember, uh, the tapes that I'm going to be reviewing going forward here as we go through this VHS journey of my collection is uh, I, I got these from a friend and these were all screeners. So not all of them either have a actual cover or even have the, the release cover. And this sleeve that I have for Night Visitor doesn't even have the back description on it. 
it's literally just the the cover printed twice on the thing. So I had to go to 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 give you guys a, a plot synopsis today. I had to go to Letterboxd and give it to you because it I mean it's there and it's pretty decent. But anyways, back to what I was trying to tell you guys is that I just kind of like I, I started watching this like right after the last episode of Astro Radio Z. And then life just got the best of me and I totally forgot to come back down here and it was sitting here right next to the fucking VCR. So in the last week or so, I've done a lot of rearranging in my house and reoriented where my office space is and where that VCR is in my house. And now it's reinvigorated me to sit and watch these tapes because now I I, I have it in my bedroom. <laughs> And I kind of like at night laying down in bed and popping a tape in and watching it, laying in bed, watching. It's like so perfect. It, it This is going to be weird. Sorry if I'm making it weird for you guys. But this reminds me of when I was in high school. When I was growing up in in. I won't. OK, I almost gave away like doxed myself. I grew up in rural Wisconsin. And there wasn't a ton to do where I lived. I was literally in the middle of nowheresville. I was I didn't live in a city. I lived out in the country. I mean, from like 12 on until I graduated. And the only pleasure I really got outside of going and hanging with friends when I could was going to the video store and renting movies. And I had a VCR and a little TV in my bedroom and I would sit and pop tapes in and spit and watch double features. I, I would sometimes I would rent upwards of like five tapes at a time and I would sit and pound through those fucking things because we had this video store in uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which will slightly dox me. It doesn't really tell you where I lived, but there was this video store and this wasn't a uh, video oasis that you guys have come to know longtime OG fans of Astro Radio Z. This was another one, I believe, called Paradise Video. I forget exactly what it was called. It was something like that. And they had a deal where for five dollars you could rent five tapes and I would take advantage of that fucking gimmick all the goddamn time. And uh, I would sit in my room and pop in, lay down in my bed and pop in tapes because there was nothing else to do. If I wasn't sitting playing guitar, I would sit and I was stuck at home. I would sit and watch tapes in my room. And now me having the VCR and the little TV in my bedroom, it's kind of taken me back to that time. And it's it's weird but also slightly comforting and, and, and kind of nice. I mean, literally, I'm sitting with VHS tapes now, lying in bed, watching fucking old shitty horror movies. It is fucking wonderful. And that has given me renewed life to sit and like watch these things. The, the, the one we're going to be talking about right now, Night Visitor. I originally picked this thing because one, the cover has that goat's head on it. And two, and I know, you know, you dudes that have been fans of, of Astro Radio Z for a while know that I'm a big kiss mark. Shannon Tweed is in this movie. Now, just to let you know, going forward here in Astro Radio Z, when I got this huge collection of, you know, VHS screener tapes from my friend, it wasn't just horror exploitation and shitty action. 
I also picked up comedies, children's movies that I thought were quirky enough that I would actually watch, like, you know, Hulk Hogan stuff like Suburban Commando and and uh, what was the one where he was like a nanny, Mr. Nanny or whatever it was, but also Skinamax TNA flicks. We are going to be covering TNA flicks from the 90s here on Astro Radio C. <laughs> and when I saw Shannon Tweed on this build on this, I immediately was like, let's fucking watch this. Shannon Tweed, the queen of 90 Skinamax TNA flicks. Fuck yeah. Was I going to pop this thing in? Shannon Tweed, if you weren't aware in the 90s, if you weren't growing up and didn't have Cinemax late at night, one, she was a stone cold fox, just absolutely gorgeous. Two, she was in every one of these things, just fucking naked, screwing everybody. That's I mean, you couldn't fucking turn on Cinemax during any night and not see Shannon Tweed butt ass naked all over the place, which it was unfortunate about this movie. She's not butt ass naked, but I need to get a hold of myself or ahead of myself here. Let's let's move on from from the hanger. But tonight, the movie I thought was going to be a straight up TNA flick turned out to be something very different, very, very different. Night Visitor from 1989, directed by Rupert Hitzig, is actually slightly a mixture of Fright Night and The Burbs. If only you you switched out the um from Fright Night, you switched out the the vampires for really goofy Satanists. It's you'll find out what I think about this in a second. But here's the plot synopsis of Night Visitor from Letterbox.com. Demons, hookers, ritual killings. Billy has a very vivid imagination, but what is real and what isn't? Only Billy and his teacher know. A teenager insists he saw a Satanist kill the call girl next door, and he tries to prove it. That's essentially the plot. The plot that was given on Letterboxd. It's a, the movie is about this quote unquote high school kid named Billy who has this stone cold fox played by Shannon Tweed move in next door and he starts <laughs> creeping on her with his telescope. Every single night he sits and watches Shannon Tweed bring in guys and figures out, oh my God, she's a hooker. But she also, when she meets him outside doing you know yard work and doing various things, she comes on to him real hard. And of course, fucking Billy gets a hard on and wants to fuck the shit out of Shannon Tweed because who wouldn't? So he starts creeping on her and one night sees when he's he, after he's told his friends that his next door neighbor is a hooker and they don't believe him at all and just kind of think that he's a creep for, you know, spying on this woman with a telescope in his room. He goes to try and, you know, prove that she is when he sees her bring somebody home and inadvertently sees someone kill her and finds out in, in a struggle when the guy sees him on the roof with a with his camera finds out that it's his history teacher dun, dun, dun. and then the cat and mouse game begins billy gets a hold of billy gould who is a family friend's <laughs> retired policeman and they try and thwart 
the Satanists who have been killing numerous call girls and hookers all over the area. That is Night Visitor from 1989. Uh, at first, I was excited because Shannon Tweed gets in this movie and you're like, oh, man, I'm ready for this. There's there's a, a hooker at the right at the beginning that's scantily clad. You think, you know, we're just going to get a nonstop titty fest with this thing. And yes, I'm acting like a pig and I'm sorry. But when you see Shannon Tweed on one of these movies, you figure you're just going to see a lot of beautiful naked women. And this movie just never delivers that. <laughs> There's like one or two nice looking women in this movie, but there's only one naked scene in this movie. It's good, man. That was a real, real fucking boner killer, guys. <laughs> real straight up boner killer. <laughs> so anyways, you figure you got this one gimmick. It's in. It is what it's going to be, but it just turns into this really shoddily acted, oddly paced cat and mouse thriller with a bunch of actors that can't really act and surprisingly a lot of cameos from people that you've you know seen before in other movies the night visitor uh, let me list off some of this cast you got elliot gould as i said before as the retired policeman you got shannon tweed who's a stone cold fox you got richard roundtree classing up the fucking joint as the chief of police and every scene that he's in just his voice alone you're like oh my god richard i wish you'd be in every fucking movie i've ever seen in my entire life but unfortunately he's relegated to a very small tiny little role here in night visitor and not given much to do other than show up act like he's you know the know-it-all tough ass cop and then promptly escorted off screen barely in this fucking gimmick then you got michael j pollard you know him he's a goofball in every fucking movie he's ever been in namely my favorite goofball role of his house of a thousand corpses that beginning opening sequence that everybody fucking loves he's in this as one of the two satanists and you're supposed to him and alan garfield are the two Satanists in this movie that are killing all these call girls and taking them into their basement and like sacrificing them for fucking Satan. You're supposed to take these guys seriously and act like they're creepy, but they're not. They're fucking goobers. Both of them are absolute fucking goobers. And Michael J. Pollard, there's a scene in this movie where he is, they, they've taken this call girl from uh, the, locked up in their basement and it's, you know, your typical typical torture dungeon in a movie where they have a couple mattresses and they're chained up to the wall and they got a goofy pentagram on the wall and blah, 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 blah. And he tricks her into going up into the attic where they have this huge sacrificial room a la like ghoulies. And the entire time the sacrifice is happening, Michael J. Pollard is just fucking, you know, hamming it up, making silly ass faces and doing a bunch of stupid shit like just goobering it up and you can't take these guys seriously whatsoever then you got henry gibson comes in as like one of the police officers liaisons and you're like who else is gonna fucking show up in this thing too bad the rest of the fucking cast is dog shit and really brings us thing you're you're stuck with a lot of like quote-unquote kids like Derek Rydell, who plays Billy in this movie, he has to carry this whole thing. And unfortunately, when he is on screen, he's just not very good. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it it doesn't come across. He doesn't like he's not convincing. It's just 
all of it's just really shoddy. And I, I attribute a lot of it to the script itself, where the first half hour of this movie is building up the Shannon Tweed character, who is then promptly killed. And then the, the second half hour of this movie is building up the Alan Garfield, Michael J. Pollard uh, Satanists. And they're just goofy and you can't really take them seriously. And then the last half hour is when Elliot Gould and Derek Riddle as Bi- Billy suddenly team up with a shotgun and decide to thwart the Satanists. So that's how this movie is, is played out. And it just like really is just it kind of it gets boring really quick. And it's unfortunate because the setup should be fun. And in fits and spurts, this movie is fun. But for the most part, it really drags. It really, really drags. So unfortunately, I was like taken down a peg with this one. I thought I, I when it started, it was going to be great. And then as it went on, I just kind of lost interest. And I mean, every once in a while, it would bring me back. But for the most part, not the best thing I've ever watched. So let's get to the good, the bad, and the what the fucks of this movie. Our first good is our lead guy. Derek Rydell has the same mom as Patricia Arquette (laughs) in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Brooke Bundy is in this movie and man, she is playing the exact character from her exact character from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 to the T the entire movie. Second good is Shannon Tweed rubs beer between her tits in one scene and then Billy Literally, beer comes everywhere. Like he opens up his beer and it just shoots everywhere. Like she's rubbing this beer can between her tits and he opens it up and it just like, it's like cum flying everywhere. <laughs> Fucking Billy in his bedroom has a toy box. Mind you, this is supposed to be like a senior in high school. He's playing 17 and he's no younger than 25. It's obvious he's no younger than 25 in this movie. So the Billy character, as as much as I'm going to say there's some goofy shit about him, not the greatest. Later, a friend plays a prank where a stink bomb and firecrackers go off in school behind the, the Satanist teacher and Billy gets suspended. So the whole stink bomb firecracker gimmick that I've never seen pulled off in a school, I enjoyed that. That was pretty good. As I said before, Richard Roundtree is way too classy for this movie. He is just Richard Roundtree. Let's give him a lifetime achievement award for being a fucking badass because he is amazing. Every time that voice alone, man, I wish Richard Roundtree was in every movie. The attic in which the Satanist hooker killers sacrifice Dennis is fucking hilarious. It's complete with candles. It has bad fucking like chanting music playing in the background. Goat's head bells, pentagrams, shitty pentagrams all over the place. If you're into this kind of shit, you know, like it reminded me of like those scenes from witchcraft where there was all that fucking nonsense all over the place where it's just like, hey, this vaguely looks Satanistic. Let's toss it in here. They got that. So that was really heartwarming to me and kind of nostalgic for witchcraft movies, which I shouldn't be because those movies suck real fucking bad. And on a side tangent. The whole like <laughs> collection of VHS tapes that I got that I told you guys about, I got six witchcraft VHSs in that. 
Don't get your hopes up. I'm not re-reviewing them. It's mostly to just have them. I'm not ever fucking doing those again. Don't get your hopes up. Let's move on. While most of the main cast of this movie are terrible, like I said before, so many fucking character actors that you're familiar with that it kind of just lightens it up as you go along. You're like, oh, check out. There's Henry Gibson. Oh, there's Richard Roundtree. Oh, there's Brooke Bundy. Oh, there's Elliot Gould. They, these people just keep it popping up. So it's, it, it, you know, in between boredom, it's a nice pick me up. Our last good, the Gould versus Pollard chainsaw versus shotgun battle, which is the finale of this movie, is that Derek Rydell and Elliot Gould eventually find the Satanist's house. And Derek Rydell's girlfriend has been kidnapped by them. They go in to try and rescue her and take out the Satanist once and for all with a shotgun that Billy had. And Elliot Gould and Michael J. Pollard get caught in a battle where Michael Pollard has a chainsaw. And Elliot Gould, who is not the youngest in this movie, he has a scraggly ass, huge gray beard, and he looks like a fucking college lit professor, have a battle with a shotgun where fucking Michael J. Pollard takes two close range. I mean, literally point blank fucking blasts from a shotgun and gets up. It doesn't last very long, the scene, but the fact that it's even in here, it warmed my heart. I loved it. I loved it. So let's get to the bad. The opening song of this movie is one of the worst opening songs I've ever heard in the history of opening songs for a movie. It's just fucking trash. Here you go. Listen to this thing. Discover blood on the hands of your midnight love. 
doesn't just play once, it plays twice. It plays in the in the closing credits as well. So you get to hear that thing. The acting across the board, as I had said before, is really fucking super poor. It just unfortunately just it's not written particularly well. And because you've seen this thing before, it feels like a step down from those movies like Fright Night and the Burbs that you've seen before. So it just it, it the acting's not the greatest. The movie, as I said, is dull and the plotting really drags this thing down from what could be a fun little Satanist TNA thriller. So Brooke Bundy, who plays Billy's mom, no sells Shannon Tweed basically exhibiting statutory indecency to her son right in front of her. Billy is a total creep who watches her with the telescope, but Brooke Mundy, the mom, could have squashed that shit right in the bud and said, yo, dude, stay the fuck away from my son. He's underage. And you're not. (laughs) But no sells it. She completely no sells it. Billy. And this is just a, you know, a side little thing here. Billy has a telescope and that telescope that he watches Shannon Tweed with is labeled Simmons. Is that just a weird coincidence? I think not. I think not. We're supposed to believe that Alan Garfield, the the teacher who's the Satanist and Michael J. Pollard, as I had said before, are killers and torturers of women. They are, in fact, the least threatening people I've ever seen in a movie be the big bads. There is at no point do you believe that these guys could pull off what they're pulling off. And maybe it's because they are so doofy that they're able to get these. But the way that that they are portrayed, like the way these murders happen and they show this right off the bat, at the beginning of the movie is like very like aggressive, like they grab women off the streets and put them into a car or just like tear them to the backside of a car and slit their throats and shit. It's like, no way. That's not real. That's not fucking happening from these two doofs. It just is totally unfucking believable. Of course, in a movie filled with cliches and things you've seen before, there's a quote unquote, throw a cat from off screen jump scare in this thing. And it's one of the worst I've ever seen. It's obvious the cat was just thrown by somebody, some assistant off screen. Elliot Gould really has no place in this movie and is little more than awkward comic relief as a retired shotgun cop with the scraggly beard. It's unfortunate, kind of like Richard Roundtree, the inclusion of these two side tangents just didn't even need to be in this movie. I understand if you have access to Elliot Gould, bring him the fuck in. But his role really didn't was pointless and wasn't not even needed. Richard Roundtree, same thing. The cops, I understand why they would be there, but they really hold no nothing in this movie whatsoever. So well, just total wastes. There's one point toward the end when Michael J. Pollard lets the teacher know that there's something afoot at the house and he leaves school and is driving home as fast as he can toward the climax of the film. Fucking Alan Garfield as Zachary Willard chants, Satan, sweet Satan, Satan, sweet Satan, 
while driving home over and over and over again. And the bad of this, because that's kind of funny when when it constantly is, you know, cutting a being between the chainsaw sequence and him driving home. The audio is really blown out and it's fucking awful. It's like, oh, man, you couldn't have redone that. You couldn't have ADR that thing. You got money. You got Elliot Gould and Richard Roundtree in this thing. I think you can ADR his audio. Maybe it's just the version on the tape that I have, and they they maybe they fixed it afterward. I doubt it. The last bad I have is after the Satanists are vanquished, the movie ends on a lover's montage for no reason. It goes on for another like three, four minutes where we see Billy and his girlfriend literally drive around, hold hands, skip through parks in slow motion, laugh and giggle. For God to a really awful pop song about love. So in a movie where you figure the antagonists have been vanquished, things have been resolved. You just end it on, you know, the slow dolly out of the house and the cops and the ambulance and all that stuff. You figure that's the end of the movie. Nope. It has this whole sequence where there's no talking and it's just these two kids having a montage and it's just so goofy and it's like why is this even here it makes no fucking sense the what the fucks of the night visitor the major what the fuck of this is michael j pollard as the goofy satanist it, it doesn't work at all and the entire time you're like what the fuck is going on why is he here it makes no fucking sense i'm i'm glad and happy for it but it makes no fucking sense and my last what the fuck for night visitor while being chased down by a car in an alley billy it's it's hilarious him and his girlfriend are running away from somebody that that's in a, a car with tinted windows barreling down this alley at them and they're about to get killed and billy pulls the whole quote unquote flip down the garbage bin gimmick like that would do fucking anything it's so pointless <laughs> It's like, dude, I hate to break it to you. That's not going to stop the car. <laughs> so that's it. That's all I got for the night visitor. Uh, closing thoughts. I mean, it's a serviceable movie. I mean, if it were to come up and you were just like, what can I watch? And it was free on like Tubi or something like that. And I don't think it is. I think you actually the only way you can watch this is renting it on Amazon or renting it on some other fucking like Roku service from what I can see. It's perfectly serviceable, and there's enough in it that you probably would be like, oh, this was kind of entertaining, but it's overall kind of boring and it really shittily acted. So I can't really recommend The Night Visitor. It's fine. It is what it is. So that's all I got for that. Now we're going to move on to Cassandra. You are listening to Astro Radio Z.
seeing something when you screamed last night. I saw it happen. I saw the knife. I saw it cut her throat. I see lots of things in my head. And there was someone else there. A little boy. A horrible little grinning boy. Who was he? Oh, secrets, Helen. Well, we can't stop now. Why not? Because it's all our fault. Jill, remember her? She was having the same sort of nightmares Cassandra's having before she died. Who killed Cock Robin? He has no way of knowing who we are or where we live. The second feature here today on Astro Radio Z, we're going to be covering the second tape I have is Cassandra, which is an Australian psychological thriller brought to us by the director of Long Weekend. Hopefully those of you out there in uh, Astro Zombieland are familiar with Colin Eggleston who is the director of Long Weekend via the documentary Not Quite Hollywood. If you haven't seen Not Quite Hollywood, please, I implore you, go check out that documentary. You're going to learn about all the amazing Australian exploitation directors that are out there. And Colin is definitely one of them. Now, I wasn't aware that Cassandra was actually directed by him when I started watching this, but uh, upon... Uh, probably like I would say 15 minutes or so, you notice this isn't your typical kind of cheap exploitation horror movie. This is a classy ass movie. <laughs> I was kind of taken aside by this and I had to look up what we were dealing with here. And then Colin Eggleston's name came up and I was totally floored. I'm like, well, hell yeah. That makes a hell of a lot of sense, because if you haven't seen Long Weekend, very patient movie, very harrowing movie, and totally enjoyable. Cassandra, I would lump along the same side of that. Now, not to the same kind of like reward that Long Weekend had, but Cassandra is a damn fine movie. I was quite shocked by this. Now, if we were to start off the conversation about what this is, and obviously I have the tape in front of me, we're going to read the actual back of the box. Um, there's a, a misnomer I have to put at the beginning of our little uh, you know, talk here, is that even though the, the front of the cover, which has this amazingly painted huge eye with flames in front of it, and the title Cassandra, A New Look at Terror, 
this is not a horror movie. There may be elements, kind of cat and mouse, Argento-ish, Giallo-ish elements in this movie and flourishes of horror. This is a psychological thriller. This is a suspense thriller. That's how it's billed on the side of the tape. It says suspense thriller. Um, so if you're looking at this as something to go get your horror kicks, you're going to be severely disappointed. It's not that kind of movie. It's a very slow, quiet, patient, psychological thriller. So here's what we have on the back of the box of Cassandra. Big tagline, young and beautiful. She envisions death. Terror stalks Cassandra, played by Tessa Humphreys. Again and again, an eerie nightmare returns. In the blink of an eye, her bone-chilling dream reflects real murders. For some unknown reason, she can actually see what the psychotic killer sees and does. Her past holds the key. Panicked and tormented, Cassandra returns to where she lived as a child. There, she hopes to find answers. There, she comes face to face with the brutal murderer. A gripping and suspenseful thriller, Cassandra. 94 minutes made in 1987. That perfectly describes what this movie is. For my buck, of the two movies that I, we watched here today on this episode, this is the better one by far, no doubt. Uh, Night Visitor was way more of a kind of a cheap B movie that you would see on the middle shelf at a video store or late night on Skinamax or tossed on USA up all night or just in general rotation on Cassandra is definitely not of the same ilk. It's extremely well made, very patient and not a total piece of shit. <laughs> Okay, I'm not being very fair to Night Visitor. Night Visitor wasn't a total piece of shit, but it definitely wasn't up to the standard of of Cassandra. So I, if we were going to give like overall general thoughts on this, it's it's totally worth watching. Don't get your hopes up. I don't think this is as good as Long Weekend. I don't think this is you know absolute drop everything, run out and seek out this movie you know, fair, but uh, it's worth your time. If you get the the chance and you're a fan of, you know, Colin Eggleston's other work, you can definitely pick this up with confidence and, and check it out. Let's get to the good, the bad, and the what the fucks of uh, Cassandra. The beginning, and I would say that as a whole, this movie holds a lot of style, a lot of wonderful, creepy style. There are times our lead character, Cassandra, as was said in... um the synopsis, she suffers from visions of things that had happened in the past that she doesn't quite remember. And I'm going to try and keep this I, a slash review slash talk we're having right now about this movie sp as spoiler free as I can, because I feel if I relinquish too much about what happens in this movie, it ruins it. And I think some of the fun of this movie is the fact that, um, even though the twist is done well, uh, it, it makes sense. And if I were to just like spoil it, it would be a, a great disservice to this. So I'm going to try and keep this as spoiler free as I, I can for you guys. There, She keeps having visions of someone she could only equate to as her mother shooting herself in the head and a creepy little boy hanging out around the house. Uh, with flames and all sorts of blip 
photography and editing and all sorts of shit. And uh, the, the opening sequence, which we see a few more times throughout the movie, is really stylishly done. A lot of great, you know, kind of fish-eyed, wide-angle lenses, uh, you know, steady cam, quick moves, uh, very great lighting for, like, just, it's it takes place in, like, this rural shack. There's fireplace light. It's just extremely well done, and it sets up a great tone for the rest of the movie. The movie on a whole is powerfully creepy with an intro uh, sequence where there's the title in flames superimposed over some other person's eyes as the the titles come up it's it's designed really awkwardly but it's, it's still for you don't see stuff like that very often and i i found it quite enjoyable there's a lot of quick flash cuts in the editing that are really dark topics of suicide and creepy kids and this thing's got style up the wazoo, as I said before. It has a very Argento-ish, like 80s Argento-ish feel. If you were to look at stuff like Tenebrae or maybe some of the latter jolly that he would do, maybe even opera a little bit, you could toss that in there. Um, it, this at, at times has that feel to it. There's a lot of blue going on. Uh, the day, day for night that is done in this movie is done really extremely well as opposed to most day for night that we see in a lot of the movies we cover here on Astro Radio Z and worst movies ever. It has that style minus the Goblins uh, Simonetti, Claudio Simonetti soundtrack. I had a tough time at first figuring out where the the country of origin for this movie was because it felt so European, but it just didn't have that soundtrack that we usually would, you know, finger for a European horror movie. It didn't have that. The directing, as I said before, great, great editing, solid mystery. And it has, as I said before, a really decent twist. It's it for me, twists are a double-edged sword. Sometimes you can have a twist, and if we're gonna keep talking about like the style being Argento-ish, um, a lot of his twists really fucking sucked. If we were gonna sit and and be very clear, is that they didn't they weren't quite set up well in the movie proper where this movie written so well that when the twist happens, it makes sense. There's nothing about it that feels cheap. There's nothing about it that feels out of left field. It feels properly set up and it gives you the last half hour of the movie to play out that twist in a satisfying way. This is something I wish more movies would do because I think a lot of movies and I think we suffer from the, you know, the Shyamalan effect where a lot of his twists all of a sudden come very harsh and fast and and they're supposed to be super duper clever as opposed to making sense within what's going on. And I wish more movies would take the Cassandra route where they gave it just enough time, about an hour of the movie to set up the twist. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, I saw these. I saw X, Y, and Z happen. So this makes sense that this is the direction that it would go. While at the same time, slightly coming as a surprise. So I, I really enjoyed the fact that this was well-written. It had a decent twist. There's a, as I had said before, these visions she has, these nightmare visions, the montage and the creep factor, along with the really understated 
soundtrack that goes on in this movie. So well done. So well done. This sounds like I'm just completely and utterly praising this movie, doesn't it? I was very surprised with how much I like Cassandra. I got to be honest with you. There is, if we're going to get to some Astro Radio Z, you know, elements of this film. <laughs> there is a great shitty dummy decapitation <laughs> about halfway through this movie when murders start happening. I was a little surprised because the vast majority of this movie is so understated and kind of a, a little classier than I, I figured a shitty dummy decapitation <laughs> would be a part of that. I, I, I started giggling really hard and it was so welcome. It was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it. Tonality wise, it didn't really fit. I think they could have done something else that would have been just fine. But man, did I appreciate that shitty dummy decapitation via a shovel. A shovel, nonetheless, the way they edited it and they made it happen. God damn. I hope you guys at some point get to see it. It was it's fucking wonderful. And my last good is it just like I said before, this was just a very understated, quiet, psychological thriller that I wasn't expecting. When you look at the cover of this thing, this thing looks straight up like your typical Z grade fucking horror movie it's got on the back of it a picture of a dude dangling covered in blood and it's got uh, a, a person in a house on fire completely on fire you figure oh man this is going to be you know like jason clone or some shit like that nope not the case whatsoever you got a classy ass movie here let's get to the bads the dad who's the photographer here he walks in and crawls into bed with his mistress to find out that she has been murdered in bed. And his reaction to this death, which is protracted and odd, looks like he's having a seizure. <laughs> it's so fucking weird and off-putting. But it, I mean, along with everything, everything just kind of like, he doesn't yell, he doesn't scream. He, it just, it's very odd. And I, I got to say, compared to most of the stuff in this movie, I didn't know what the fuck the angle was with that. Um, because this is such a quiet movie, a lot of the slow conversations and no answers for what's going on for the first hour begins to kind of drag. And you kind of hope they would, you know, start to move this fucking thing along. While I appreciate and I can appreciate slow cinema. There are times where it's like, okay, well, there's not enough plot happening here. You're not introducing enough information into this, and you're you're just kind of repeating. It's becoming redundant, and uh, because it's such a like a slow, understated movie with not a ton of a soundtrack, it does start to drag a little bit. There's a couple instances in this movie where Eggleston steals cues from Halloween. Oddly, there's a couple auditory stings late in the movie that sound a, like completely ripped off from Carpenter's Halloween score. And then there's a scene where one of the actors is in a closet while somebody else like trashes through a closet to get to them. That is completely the Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Myers scene. So on, honestly, I was a little like, oh, man, you guys could do better than that. And then at the very end, my final bad is that there is this like we said, we already established that they're they're willing to go with the shitty dummies. Right. 
at the very climax of this movie, somebody lights on fire. Our, our main bad guy gets lit on fire. And there's a close up that's clearly a shitty dummy. And unfortunately, the editing gave it away. So as much as I love them shitty dummies, why you would do a close up of a shitty dummy on fire, I have no idea. And it just totally took me out of the moment. And it was quite unfortunate. Let's get to the what the fucks. There's only two what the fucks with Cassandra, because honestly, it was a fairly logical movie that didn't really like. I don't have a ton to speak about with it because I don't want to spoil it for you guys. I think you guys should go check this movie out. I actually just sat and really enjoyed watching the movie for the most part. And there wasn't anything that stuck out to me that I thought was like, this is trash. What the fuck is this? But the first what the fuck I had was that Cassandra and this comes to casting, which was a, a little odd. I mean, I think all the acting across the board is good in Cassandra. But the triangle between the mom and the dad and Cassandra, those characters, for some reason, casting wise, were not age appropriate or they did not appear to be age appropriate. Like Cassandra looks so much older than either of her parents, or at least looks to be the same age. And it was really like, what the fuck off putting like you. It was hard to believe that they were like she was the daughter of these two people. Then the final what the fuck of Cassandra is that a major undercurrent of this movie is insinuated incest. So if that's a trigger for you. You might want to skip Cassandra. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, a major like they're not showing sex scenes. There's no nudity in Cassandra. Wait, no, there is nudity in Cassandra. There is a there is one scene of nudity. I'm totally wrong in that. I forgot about that. There's one scene of nudity, but there's no real like sex scenes in this movie. And there's no scenes of like a brother and sister getting it on. But boy, is it a major plot angle in this movie so get prepared for that and that's a you know general what the fuck i'm not gonna like get too far into it but it's kind of like oh man really <laughs> this is where we're going so uh to end it out not to really like spoil anything here i enjoyed this movie i think it was quite a surprise to be honest compared to most of the stuff that we just randomly choose here on astral radio z i would give this a recommend if you stumble across cassandra it was fine. It was definitely, I don't regret watching this. This is probably of the, the tapes that we've chosen so far, the best one. I would say Cassandra is a, is a recommend for sure. So let's uh, go ahead and round this out. And when we come back, let's talk about the movies we'll be covering on the next episode of Astro Radio Z. This is Astro Radio Z and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes, and want to become part of the show, go to patreon.com, forward slash, Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to 100 plus bonus episodes of content. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com, forward slash, Astro Radio Z. Baby. 
as always, I appreciate you guys being so patient with me in this podcast. I know it's not consistent. I know I promise things that I never follow through with. That's just what it is. It's a podcast. (laughs) I'm not getting, I'm not like paying my bills with this podcast. I do have a Patreon. If you guys want to go over to patreon.com forward slash astral radio Z, you can join and get my other podcast, Worst Movies Ever, which I shill almost every single one of these goddamn things where you guys, if you sign up for the right tier, can put movies that you feel are the worst things ever onto a list that I have at my Patreon, and I will go movie by movie and watch those and we'll determine if they truly are one of the worst movies ever made and put it on our list that we've at this point i believe we're almost to episode 60 we've almost done 60 of those things holy shit i can't fucking believe it but anyways here on national radio z my intention and i say this every fucking episode and life pulls the rug out from underneath me my intention is to keep going i already have the next two movies ready for us the next episode of astral radio z on our vhs you know expedition journey here is the Lorenzo Lamas gimmick, Snake Eater, and the movie Shadowgate. So if you're not familiar with any of those, please go check out the info on those things. And when we get here next time, that's what we'll be covering. So please, you guys, I hope you're doing well. I have hope you have a great holiday season. And I will more than likely catch back up with you in 2023. So, my wonderful Astro Zombies, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Astro Radio Z was written, recorded, produced, edited by Derek Carey. Executive produced by Vaughn Comier and Shannon Smith. Music used in this episode, which I really urge you guys to go and buy and support, was Wormrot off of their amazing new LP, Hiss, Behind Closed Doors, and the classic Strapping Young Lad tune, Aftermath. (laughs) Oh, that's good shit, man.